This is Travel Wise, the travel podcast for growth-hungry entrepreneurs. Join us as we explore travel, continuous learning, and the psychology of flow. Ready for takeoff? Ask me why. Welcome, everybody, to 52 Living Ideas. So glad you're able to join Maritza and myself. We are in the middle now of this book. I have the old version here. Mihai Csikszentmihalyi's The Evolving Self, a sequel to the Flow book. And we are on chapter two. And Maritza and I both agreed that uh, we thought this was uh, somewhat of an interesting chapter. We're exploring the nature of the mind, and we have a presentation here to go through. So if you haven't read the book or if you read it a while ago, we'll definitely give you a full summary here, get you up to speed with all the major points of this chapter. And we're going to have an interesting discussion today because both Marissa and I agreed that we both felt that MC got into a lot of the problems uh, and the limitations of the mind, which is, of course, important to recognize. But then in this chapter, never really got to the solutions, especially considering how he is the godfather of flow, as he's often referred to, the godfather of flow, the person who originated this concept. And we don't even get into that concept or thinking about how it relates to the limitations of the mind that he talks about in this chapter. So we figured that's what we will attempt to do in our discussions here. But as I said, we're going to get started first with the PowerPoint presentation. We'll have time for some small group breakout rooms so you can discuss some of these ideas on your own, and then we'll bring everyone back to the larger group as well. But I think we can get started. You you had the we, this screen share going there. Anything you wanted to say before we get started with the summary, Maritza? All right. Nope, you started us on a break. So to get started, this is just a reminder of what the concept of flow is all about. And we have the definition of flow from MC here. He says, flow is the state in which people are so involved in an activity that nothing else seems to matter. The experience itself is so enjoyable that people will do it even at great cost. Flow is when you're so invested in a project that you lose track of time, you lose track of self, action and awareness feel like they merge. And there's also this important concept of flow that we keep talking about again and again, the challenge skills balance. Flow happens when your skills meet the challenge at hand. So you're in what we often call the sweet spot of the flow channel, where you're avoiding boredom on the one hand, uh, that would be if your skills are greater than the challenge challenge and avoiding anxiety on the other hand, which would be if the challenge exceeded your skill. So flow is that sweet spot channel that we're all trying to get into. And it's the state where people feel their best and perform their best. So it's, it's something that I think we all aspire to try to be in as much as we can so that, that we can do our best in the world and experience deep levels of happiness. Ready to get into chapter two here. So chapter two is called Who Controls the Mind? And he splits it up into several different sections. The first section is a point that he calls eternal dissatisfaction. And he's talking about even how throughout history, um, we see all the ways in which people are dissatisfied. 
The main point here is to develop selves capable of dealing with the evolutionary forces rushing us into the third millennium, because he was writing this at the end of the 90s. It is imperative to become better acquainted with the functioning of the mind. The more we learn about how the mind works, the more we realize that the filter through which we experience the world has some built-in biases. Seeking to understand how these biases work is the key to getting our thoughts and actions under our conscious control. And so, of course, one of our biases is, for example, a kind of negative bias. That's uh, kind of been something that's been demonstrated that human beings, we focus more on things that go bad rather than things that, that go well. It's that you know, popular phrase we always hear about the news, that if it bleeds, it leads, that uh, the way that people are interested in car crashes on the road, that these are the, the kinds of things that uh, capture our attention. And perhaps it makes sense from an evolutionary standpoint that if we didn't pay attention to these things that are threats that it would perhaps impede our survival, but then it also leads to a state of dissatisfaction. Do you want to say anything about this part of the chapter, Maritza? The, the thing here that I thought stood out for this chapter was the idea that, I mean, and we'll see this throughout the entire chapter, honestly, is the idea of just because we have a potential pre-programmed like emotion, feeling, or happenstance, we don't have to just float along and accept that. This, um, and I'm, this uh, section, when I first was reading this, I, it made me think of Dylan Thomas's Rage Against the Die and Night, that poem, just because I really think that that's this whole chapter, that's kind of what it's saying. You know, sure, we have a predisposition, evolutionary traits are fierce and we're still working through that. But um, the idea of being aware, that's the way to find a past around these biases. So I just wanted to throw that in there. Yeah. Just one more point I'll make about this part of the chapter too, this idea of eternal dissatisfaction. He's also talking about the idea that um, nowadays often gets referred to as hedonic adaptation, this idea that we're, we're constantly wanting more. So the idea that people sometimes think like, oh, if I had this new car, this new job, this vacation, this new house, then I would finally be happy. But you reach those things and it never feels satisfying. It's this idea of eternal dissatisfaction. And again, he's pointing out that um, there's certainly grounds to think that there's a, an evolutionary adaptation reason for this dissatisfaction to, to always want more. But then to Maritza's point, to think about, well, how can we also think about, once we're conscious of these biases, ways that we can take control and still find actual satisfaction and meaning and appreciation for all the good things that surround us. Ready and we'll see that and we'll we'll see that theme um here throughout as we go throughout the chapter it's just a recurrent theme with slightly different nuances mm -hmm. So the next part of the chapter was all about chaos and consciousness. This is the idea that uh, 
you know, by our evolutionary nature, we're predisposed to entropy, to chaos. The main point here is the mind is not going to fall into ordered and enjoyable patterns of experience unless one spends energy to give consciousness shape. Um, he says here, it could be argued that chaos, not order, is the natural state of the mind. The fact that the mind experiences unpleasant disorder when not engaged in goal-directed action is an important safety feature provided to us by evolution. But as he points here, the mind needs ordered information to keep itself ordered. As long as it has clear goals and receives feedback, consciousness keeps humming along. When that's missing, chaos returns. When no external stimulation engages attention, thoughts tend to drift randomly and disconnected ideas appear out of nowhere. So this was the part of the chapter I thought that started to get us connected back to the idea of flow because we had discussed in the flow book that this was what flow was all about. It was about order in consciousness. It was about having clear goals and immediate feedback and that this is what part of what produced the state of happiness in flow. And here, I think he's starting to point out the fact that this is not just a, an automatic or default state of the mind, that there's perhaps something that we actually have to do to, to get into flow or to get essentially that order. But again, he's really focused here more on the problem aspect of it, the ways in which we'll just fall into chaos and entropy without consciously putting in and intentionally putting some order to our consciousness. This is a concept that we here at the Pizza Living Ideas have embraced too. This idea of Kyle's verse versus order is one that is just a central theme that we find is pervasive in almost any philosophical work, right? And so the idea here, and I, I think, you know, it says it could be argued. We here, we tend to embrace the idea that how chaos is the natural state of mind. And it takes us back to our favorite, okay, well, I don't know if it's your favorite, but we're gonna, you know, I'm gonna say our favorite word from the flow book, intention. When we walk forward with intention, we're aware that what we're trying to do is minimize this psychic entropy, which is what is caused by, by chaos and I, I really, what, what is most fascinating to me here is this line that paradoxically, it is when we are ostensibly most free, when we can do anything we want, that we are least able to act. And why is that? Because the wheels start turning in our head and we are our own worst enemy. How many times have you sat there? Or even if you're about to jump off of an eight-foot diving board, right? You have to talk to yourself, okay, maybe some people are fearless, right? Me, I'm the world's biggest worst. So I'm going to sit at the top of this eight-foot board, and I'm going to have to literally talk myself into jumping off of this diving board. Now I can swim. I'm so buoyant that it's almost impossible for me to drop. So it's really just my mind that's stopping me from jumping into the water and swimming off like nothing. And I think that that's what we're being told here, that when you're aware of that, you can kind of wrangle your mind and make it do your bidding as opposed to being slave to all of the pinging thoughts that hit us when we allow our brains to roam free. Um, and we're, we're all sub subject to it. It's just one of those things. Um, and we hear the admonition again is that following the path or allowing 
our natural tendencies take over is actually detrimental to us allowing ourselves in that sweet spot. Remember, we want to be on that forward moving path. But the way to doing that requires us to be aware of the house, the chaos, and to make steps to move forward despite it, find somewhere to gain a little bit of order. Thank you. I will agree. I also really like this point that the statement you're bringing up about the paradox of when we're freedom, when we have the freedom, that is when we're least able to act. It reminds me of one of the chapters in the original flow book where he was talking about the paradox of work. And the paradox there is that most people when asked prefer to not work. That's what they say. They prefer to have more leisure time. But in fact, when people then actually think about where they experience the most happiness, it turns out that people are most satisfied on the job, precisely because there is a goal, there are goals, there is feedback, there is that sense of purpose. That, so that is when most people, it turns out, actually do end up feeling most fulfilled and most happy. Whereas in leisure, it's just aimless, it feels like chaos. And it turns out that, that in fact, most people are not as happy when they just have leisure time. To me, the other really interesting connection here that he doesn't yet get into because he's really more focused on the problems more than the solutions is the connection to creativity. It, it's that same sort of phenomenon that when we're essentially free to do anything, we're just absolutely paralyzed. It's, it's the common experience of when you're staring at the blank page or the blank canvas. And if it could be anything, it ends up becoming absolutely nothing. Whereas when we actually give ourselves some kind of constraints, that that's really when our creativity can flourish. But again, something he doesn't quite get into yet in this chapter where he's really just more outlining the problems. Oh, do we skip one there? Yeah, here we go. Yes. So now we're on to why is happiness so elusive is the next uh, section of the chapter here. And the main point here uh, says here on the slide, we may have genetic predispositions against finding contentment. But if we let our individual consciousness be directed by genetic instructions that have been advantageous in the past, the quality of our life is likely to suffer in the present. And so here he's even starting to point out that some of the adaptations that we have from evolution came from conditions that existed in the past that aren't necessarily part of our modern experiences. But if we merely let ourselves be moved by whatever it is that, that evolution has programmed into our nature, that we're not going to find happiness living in modern society today. Um, so uh, like one of the, the points here he, he makes you know, is that like depression, anger, fear, and jealousy are different manifestations of conflict in consciousness, a form of psychic entropy. When the mind dwells on something negative, attention turns to information that conflicts with goals and creates a discrepancy between what is desired and what is actually happening. So again, just the ways in which, uh, you know, our 
genetic predispositions can have us perhaps focused on things that happened in the past or maybe worrying about things that might happen in the future, but we're not actually in tune with what's actually happening now in the present and the opportunities that might actually be available to us here and now. And here you can see, as we keep going through the slides, you see we have a theme. And it's the same thing, genetic predispositions. But use consciousness to allow yourself to work past it. That's the, just, this is going to be the ongoing theme of this chapter. I think we're ready for the next one. So our next section is called the limits of reason. Here he points out, it's good to have rational, logical structures by which to order thoughts and actions, but human evolution cannot be tied to strict rules. Intuition, empathy, wisdom, and creativity are themselves part of the human evolutionary process. They change with time as events and our understanding of them change. I thought this part of the chapter makes even more sense to us now in the 2020s as opposed to the 1990s when he was writing this because I think we're all familiar with the concept of an algorithm and you know what can be programmed by you know a certain kind of logical algorithmic programming and here I see him making the point that essentially you know, algorithms and logic obviously help us a lot. And we all know that living in the computer age, but that obviously they can't solve all of our problems. As he points out here that we still also need intuition, empathy, wisdom, creativity, that all of these are values. And that uh, part of our challenge here is being able to balance logic, rationality, algorithms with intuition, empathy, creativity, and such. I agree with uh, Joya. I absolutely love this section. It's one of my favorites of the entire chapter. The idea here is that, again, we are not creatures of either or. We are yes and creatures. There is benefit to embracing both sides. Sure, there are, reason is good, logic is good, it's necessary. But embracing it at the expense of these necessary emotions is actually going to be detrimental. My absolute favorite um, line in this chapter is the last one that I added here for you guys. It's the, if we want more rational behavior, we cannot expect it to happen by itself. We must invest psychic energy in creating and preserving ordered systems of rules. Now, what that's telling you here is again, what we hear in some of the other sections we've already looked at. The idea of help yourself. Because sometimes the way to help yourself is by high, uh, fighting against what is innate within you. And that seems almost paradoxical, but I mean, we are human beings. I honestly think the human being is a paradoxical creature because we are creatures who can perform logic. But our very, at our very base, we are emotional animals. So to throw away the emotion that is innate in you is going to lead you down the wrong path. I mean, you can probably get away with it for a time, but ultimately, you're going to find that you would have fared better 
but you'd manage to find a way to balance the two. So that's what I'm hearing here in this section. And I think that this is such a vital point. Also, what I really love here is that the tone of They change with time as events and our understanding of them change. And when he says they, he's talking again, joy of that out for us, intuition, empathy, wisdom, creativity. Those are vital. If we embrace reason and logic without remembering how vital those aspects of ourselves, of our culture, of our society, that those pieces are, we're gonna have issues. And the, the idea is whenever you're not moving, if there's no forward motion, you start to die. And that's just the way it are. It holds true also for this. Individual, cultural, society, we need to embrace those emotional aspects of ourselves as tightly and as strongly as we embrace the logical and reasoning aspects of ourselves. That's the best path forward and the best way to change it in a slightly more harmonious nature that's not going to be traumatizing to either the individual or the society or culture as well. No, I think absolutely would underline everything that you're you're saying there. And I think it is just, I'll just bring in, you know, our favorite word of intention. Again, this is just another way in which we need to use our intention to actually find this, this balance so that we can have this continual progress. I think we're ready for the next section. So the next part here, we're gonna talk about the problem of the addiction to pleasure. So here the main point is, is, if excessive rationality is dangerous, so is an excessive confidence in the wisdom of the body. Evolution hasn't caught up to technology and the brain won't tell us when enough is enough. The only way to avoid becoming dangerously dependent on pleasure is to use the mind. And again, this is a point that I think we even understand better and with more data and evidence now in the 2020s than was even available in the late 90s when MC was writing this. But even then he was pointing out the fact that uh, the examples he gives here, salts, fat, sugar, alcohol, you know, sex, pornography, all of these examples of things that if we get them as they were perhaps available in the past, you know, in moderation, only a little bit, they can give us a little jolt of pleasure, but they are problematic if we have them in excess. And of course, the abundance of our modern society just makes it all too easy to indulge too much in these pleasures that don't actually provide long-term meaning, satisfaction, nutrition, um, and, the way that he makes the point here, I thought was was really interesting that he, the way that he says the wisdom of the body isn't enough. And even here is making a point that I feel we perhaps even hear more now in the 2020s that you will hear people say just, you know, just trust the body or, you know, just you know, listen to whatever your intuition might be. And while there's certainly places where I believe that is correct, kind of just as we were just talking about how intuition definitely has its place and your, your gut feeling, your sense of things is very important. There's also this other danger to watch out for that we can't just rely on perhaps what gives us a dopamine high or what gives us that hit 
of pleasure that's pure hedonism, but not actually long-term value, deep meaning, actual nutrition, the, the things that actually support and sustain us for a long-term life of deep happiness. Absolutely. And, and so the thing here is the idea of, again, floating. If you're just floating along in the world, you're really susceptible to becoming dependent upon just those things that feel good, right? It's so easy in today's day and age to be like, I don't want to worry about anything that's hard. I don't want any drama. And that's fine. Nothing wrong with that. But if you become so against those things that might force you to strive, well, then that becomes um, a link to enabling you to become dependent on only seeking pleasure and failing to use your mind at all. Perfect. So we have, is there one more slide we have here? So here we have the good and the bad. And his main point here is the only value that all human beings can readily share is the continuation wait, wait, of life wait, wait. on Earth. Oh. It's not. Oh, yeah, I was saying. I was saying something. Oh, yeah, sorry. Yes. Sorry. So we still have stress, strain, and hormones, and then we'll get to the good of the bad. So, first, those stress, strain, and hormones. So, here the main point was the adaptive skills of the past, which have made it possible for us to exist in the first place, do not necessarily make life easier or happier now. Certain basic evolutionary drives cannot be eradicated, and so we must learn to satisfy them in meaningful ways. Um, so here, for example, he talks about stress. Um, he says stress triggers physiological changes that prepare the body for, uh, we know, like the fight or flight um, choice there. Um, but excessive or prolonged stress can be harmful because it throws the internal of the balance of the body off. The key to staying healthy is not to seek to change external stressors, but to change one's mind. And I would argue here that it's really probably ideally even both, that that's, I always think of that as the balance of the Western and the Eastern approaches to how to deal with suffering in life is that, uh, again, it's not either or, but it's, it's both ands that we want to both change the world and change ourselves. Um, and then also, you know, just kind of a point here about hormones playing a large role in stress as well, and how these are part of our evolutionary programming. They're not things that we can just change at will, but we can still be intentional, you know, just given the nature of our bodies, the, the actions and choices that we, we choose to make. So for example, testosterone might predispose us to be more aggressive, which might've even had a place, uh, you know, if we had to fight off a saber-toothed tiger, but living in modern society, we might actually have to be intentional to bring up our, our favorite word again, to think about how we actually take some of our hormonal predispositions and think about how they actually provide value for us in the modern world. I, I really want to say this is actually the last section in this chapter. I apologize to those of you who grabbed the um, presentation. The next slide is actually from chapter one. The, the good and the bad is from chapter one. My apologies. But on this topic here, stress, strain, and hormones, it actually was very hard to condense the um, the things discussed into just these couple bullets. Um, but most of what was presented to us were various examples of how it is that these things affect us. Um, and then the key, point, the key point here that we're telling us is the idea of, um, you know, 
they were necessary previously. It may no longer be necessary. We are deluding ourselves if we think that because we've just now, over the last 50 years, begun to break away from some of these things ingrained within us, we're deluding ourselves if we think that that small amount of time is enough to change something that's an evolutionary trait or a genetic instruction. And uh, so what we're told here is that it's, again, it's just a matter of being aware that there are things within you that are affecting your actions and your behaviors. And once you have that awareness, then you have the potential ability to fight against it, which is, it's again, it's this idea of just paying attention. You know, if something is, you're, if you make this like really strong reaction to something, maybe take a step back and consider where is this coming from? Because it's innate to you, but just because it's innate within you, it doesn't mean that you have to go from reaction to action. We are thinking animals in addition to emotional animals. And so what this here section is saying, there's all these things that are just like crazy cocktail inside of you. So you're gonna have to work really hard to not let it all explode forth because what the author sent us, what MC is really getting at is that if we keep acting upon all of these things within us without taking that pause to consider that it is part of the generation and that potentially we need to rise above that because it no longer fits with today's world. If we don't account for that, then there's no way we can move into a newer, brighter, better future. And that's what I'm hearing him saying here. I think that even leads us beautifully into the next part of our meeting, which is going to be getting into breakout sessions. And so the, the topic or the question we thought you could all ponder today in the breakout rooms is precisely to start thinking about your own ideas for suggestions of ways to overcome all of these limits. So we you know, went throughout this chapter pointing out all of the limits, the, the, the chaos, what's just built into us by genetics and evolution. But MC doesn't really yet get into the suggestions for how to overcome and improve on any of these things. So we thought this could be what we could start to have our conversations about starting in the breakout rooms, perhaps especially thinking about the definition of flow as we presented it to you in the very first slide, or maybe anything that you might've gotten from our exploration of that first book, if you were there for that first part of the series, or even just anything from your own life experience for you know, ways that you perhaps have thought about dealing with some of these inbuilt limits that we have that predispose us toward negativity and how we can rise above and overcome that and actually achieve lives of deeper, greater satisfaction, meaning, and happiness. I wrote a synopsis of that question into the chat for you guys. All right. So any, anything else you want to say? Otherwise, I'm going to get us started in the breakout rooms. Go right ahead. All right. Then I will start the breakout rooms 
now. Welcome back, everyone. We're all starting to filter back to the main room. Hopefully everybody had some really interesting discussions with your small group. And so now we're gonna to get to the section of the meeting where we come back together and you can share any questions that came up, um, either for you individually from the presentation we gave, if you read the chapters, any really interesting questions you might've had that came out in the breakout room or any takeaways that you wanted to share and discuss further with the group. So first we're gonna go around and get everyone's questions. You can type exclamation point in the chat or use the raise hand function on, on Zoom here. Uh, and we'll collect everybody's questions and discussion points. And then uh, we'll, we'll see how many we can get through. But yeah. If anybody would like to share their thoughts or their questions. Looks like uh, Shane Marie has something to get us started here. Uh, yes, hi. Um, one of the things that I was curious about is how you say you find an avenue um, of transformation of change um, the the momentum behind that uh, seems to be faulty often at times. So, mm -hmm. um, so I'm I'm curious as to how you gain proper momentum for transformation. So, uh, even even though we we hear things about this path or that path might take us to transformation, um, we might start on it and find we just don't have sufficient incentive to stay on it for transformation. Mm -hmm. So, if you could speak to that, I'd appreciate it. Thank you. Yeah, I think that that's a great topic. Were there any specific examples you were thinking of or just broadly for, you know, momentum for transformation broadly? I think just to, just generically. So, you know, there are moments in a, in a, I don't know, a lesser moment, a depressed moment, a weaker moment, you might find yourself meditating or those kinds of things. And it, and it serves you well in that moment. But then um, once things are well, the sun's out and those kinds of things, uh, you kind of fall off. So there's, um, I don't know, there, there's something lacking in terms of staying the course, and I'm not sh quite sure mm -hmm. um, how you navigate that. Mm -hmm. No, I think that that's a great topic. Definitely one worth exploring. Let me see. Um, Joe also had an exclamation in the chat. Yeah, I was trying to decide. Uh, maybe I, I, I'll just ask a question is actually how do people approach bringing order to chaos? Mm. Um, you know, and so, uh, you know, the, the, it was, he's saying, I thought, I thought I read in one of the slides that he's saying chaos is our natural state. So um, I'd like to just hear what some people's ideas are and how they actually bring order to their world. Mm -hmm. I think another, another big, broad, fascinating topic where I think that'll definitely be worth exploring. Would anybody else like to add a question to our mix here? You can continue thinking on that. Otherwise, I think we can even get started with this, this big question of uh, you know, finding momentum to keep a transformation going. Um, I, I, I have a lot to say about this, but I'm going to be really curious to hear from others as well. And this is certainly something I've experienced where at the beginning, you're all excited. You've got that vision of the new change. You've got like the first couple of days where it's all really new and interesting. And then, you know, it can be so easy to just, you know, 
stay the course. So yeah, I'd love to hear, you know, other people's thoughts about how they keep momentum when making a, a transformation. Anybody want to share some of some strategies that have worked for them? I'll, I'll chime in there for a moment. Um, so I, I think uh, looking at things from various different angles since I had awareness to it. So um, you know, like if you're if you've gone down the path of wondering, you think, oh, well, maybe um, I'm bored with this angle. You can look at it from a different way, and that will kind of infuse some new life into the topic. Um, for I guess in general. Of, keeping the momentum is like the idea of, so it takes us again back to our, our little graph, the skills versus challenges um, graph is if, if your skills and challenges are just right, you're in the sweet spot, you're in the flow job. If you get too much skills and not enough challenge, you're gonna find yourself on board without ambition, right? So then you have to increase your skills. If your skills are too great from, I'm sorry, if the other way around, if your challenges are too great and you don't have enough skills, you're gonna find yourself frustrated and anxious and you're gonna be outside of that good middle path. So then what you wanna do is you want to work your skills. So I think the key here is um, just keep moving, you know? Like, it's a matter of, and skills, we say skills, and I think skills is a very generic term that covers such a wide, vast range of things. It doesn't necessarily have to be you going back to school. You know, it just could be something small, take a step back and like, you know, if it's something so simple of, you know, washing dishes, maybe the technique you have doesn't work for you. Maybe you need to start doing dishes in the morning and because in the morning you're sipping your coffee, you're sipping your coffee while you're doing the dishes, that helps you be a little more energized about doing that task as opposed to doing them in the evening when you're tired and sleepy. And I know that's a really, you know, uh, silly uh, example, but it's just to show that as you move along in your skills and challenges, you can keep momentum on what you want to keep momentum, but you have to adjust one or the other. And which one you have to adjust is a, requires a self-assessment. Are you feeling more bored or are you feeling more anxious? Because if you're more bored, it means that you don't have enough challenge to match the skill set. If you're feeling more anxious and maybe frustrated, then the possibility is that the challenges are too high compared to your skill set. So those are just a couple of thoughts I have. Yeah, thank you for sharing that, Maritza. Um, Joe had something to say about this question and then Anton had something to share as well. Uh, just briefly, um, how do you keep the momentum going? I think one of the is to, one major thing is to be self-aware uh, in that process. So, um, what does that mean? We talked a little bit about being on the hedonic treadmill. Uh, so then how do you avoid that? What are the processes that you use in order to, to uh, make sure that you don't give into your desires and you're actually able to, to exert your own will to whatever what, you know, degree you have it um, over your actions? Uh, so I think that that's you know, important to know what your uh, what your behaviors are. Uh, the second part I'd say is that it's also important is to um, 
I think community actually plays a very big role here and and essentially how uh, especially community in the sense that your values have to be aligned with one another. Um, and if that is a form of accountability, uh, then then you can kind of keep the momentum going because you feel like you're not necessarily, uh, you know, running in place or doing everything on your own. So I, I think that those are two kind of critical things because I think you have, or three really, you know, become self-aware, but also most importantly is to know your, you know, pitfalls, where you're going to fall back and where you're going to fail. Uh, and in certain cases where you can't fail. Um, so that, those would be my answer. These are both really great points. Thank you for sharing those. Uh, Anton and then Mark go next. Um, I've noticed that there are, uh, I'll, I'll just say something briefly before I ask the question. Um, I noticed that in many cases, or most of the time, like in when I listen to personal development and podcasts or like YouTube videos, there's uh, so much emphasis on the change, especially when it's big change, but not any really talk about what well, until you get there about the pleasure or about enjoyment. So should enjoyment be tied in with personal development as much as possible? I mean, I have my thoughts about that, but I wonder what other people have to say about that. Yeah. Well, that's a great question. Yeah, I think we'll definitely add that one to the list. Thank you for sharing that one. Mm -hmm. Next up is gonna be Marco. Um, yeah, for me, like I kind of know just like sometimes even just taking a small step, um, especially if it's, um, you know, in like a, when you're sort of like in the, um, just continuing with something like in a, you know, in a, you're sort of like in a new place. So it, um, so it basically, um, yeah, like that gives you momentum. It's like a, you know, it brings you to that, to that new place. So yeah. And sort of like that gives you sort of a, a little happiness to like, to continue to keep on going. That's a great point. Thank you for sharing Marco. Yeah. I, I'll, I'll even build on that and maybe share a couple other things, but um, you know, your point about, you know, small steps, I think that even connects into one of the key insights we get from MC. And, and one of the things that I've taken away from studying flow, which is exactly this idea of breaking things into small chunks. So one of the things we learn about flow is that you want to have uh, you know, clear goals and immediate feedback, and you want to be in that sweet spot of the challenge skills balance. Sometimes we'll one of the easiest ways to do that is to take, you know, a big transformation and break it down into small chunks. And then the small chunk, you have a very clear goal. You know, it's, it's not write a novel. It's, you know, sit down and write 200 words. And if it's, you know, just write 200 words, that's a very clear goal. You can get immediate feedback as to whether you've done it or not. And that hopefully puts you, let's say, in the sweet spot where it makes it easier to get that done. I'll share another strategy I found um, for momentum is an idea that's often called friction. And it's the idea that you want to essentially add 
friction when you're you're trying to do a transformation of something you're trying to avoid, um, but remove friction. Uh, you know when you're trying to make something easier. So so these are the kinds of examples. Like uh, for example, if you're trying to let's say exercise more, you want to remove friction. So you want to make it as easy as possible for you to to get your workout in. So you want to you know clear out your schedule so that you know you have a definite time set up. You want to set out all your work clothes in advance so that you know you know you've got everything ready to go. You want to make it as easy as possible to, to do the thing. I think that even aligns with um, you know, in some of our other groups, we've talked about Montessori and the prepared environment. Like these are even just ways as you as an adult can prepare your own environment to make things easier. Or sometimes you want to make things harder. Like for example, if you're trying to lose weight, you can make it harder to eat cookies by you know, not buying the cookies in the first place. Or you know, if you do have you know, sweets in the house, you know, you you lock them on a high shelf or you just make it the environment more difficult to do the thing that you're not trying to do. So that, that's something else. And another big um, idea on this topic that I learned that um, I think is really insightful, it probably only applies to certain cases, but this was a, an idea I got from uh, James Clear's book, Atomic Habits, which is, uh, I'll show it's just been the, the best book I've ever read about uh, thinking about how to build habits. And he had this really profound idea, I thought. He, he was talking about um, you know, when you're trying to build habits, um, you know, sometimes there's things that are perhaps goal oriented, but sometimes it's even easier to focus on the process than the goal. So this would be like, you know, if you're trying to lose weight, um, you know, instead of trying to say like, oh, I'm trying to lose 20 pounds, it might be easier to say, oh, I'm going to commit to, uh, you know, eating a certain diet and doing a certain exercise routine because that's the process, right? So like focusing on the process is often easier than just, you know, having that big abstract goal. And then he makes this point that even better than focusing on the process is focusing on identity. So this was this, this insight he had that people who identify with the ultimate result have better outcomes overall. So this is, you know, if you identify yourself with, let's say, like being someone who is intellectually curious, then you're probably more likely to keep showing up at 52 Living Ideas because like, you now you've made this, this is part of your sense of who you are. So you'll be more committed to actually doing the thing because you've made it part of your own sense of identity. I, I always thought that was a really profound idea. Looks like uh, Shane Marie has um, something more to say about her topic, and then um, Aaron as well. I think Aaron. Oh, Aaron at first, though? Okay, all right. So, Aaron first, and then Shane Marie on, on her topic. I mean, Shane Marie could go if she's, on the, if she's in the flow. Uh, <laughs> she wants to. No, it's okay, Aaron. You, you okay. were first, so you can go. Cool. Um, so, I, I've always sort of divided these things up into sort of, you know, like three categories. One is there's this sort of hacking phase, which I find a lot of um, um, self-help or, or performance you know, improvement uh, is driven around. And, and I don't minimize it. I, I actually think it's really important for one simple reason is that if we can try things in very small bites that we actually don't know if we really want, we think we do, or the pleasure trigger tells us we do, i.e. I wanna learn how to play guitar because you know, 48 other reasons have nothing to do with, you know, truly understanding the history of guitar, blah, 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 blah. Well, yeah, that's great. You can take your first sort of six months of that, maybe hacking and YouTubing and all that kind of stuff. But then there's a moment where it's like, okay, there's no more, sh 
there's the shortcuts have worse ROI than sort of punching through it. And then I find that what I think is great about the hacking is that I think it's like tapas. It lets us all try lots of little things. It has, you know, kind of no harm, no foul. And it, it you know, and we kind of live a life, you know, over decades, if we're lucky, hopefully, or half a century as adults or, or more uh, in, in, in the adult phase. And we could try, you know, dozens of things that we put, you know, decent effort in. Um, but at some point we're like, no, that's good. I, I got enough of that. Right? I don't actually, I know I'll never actually be really good. And I don't actually care enough to be actually really good, you know, et cetera. And then you, and then you, you kind of drop it and go do something else. Now I would say there's a set of things that at some point you might decide that that is really important. Then I think the hacking has to go through this sort of transformation to, you know, I don't have a term for this, but it's basically like, I call it like the nice grind, but it's a grind. Like you gotta be willing to just grind it out. Like it, it's real now. Like it, it's meaningful enough that it's not a grind to you, that the journey is the value. And, and at that point, you're figuring out if this is something you're really committing enough to that it you at some point might make a decision around it. Like it, it might be something that important that you decide to go in a different direction in your life. Um, now there's probably only a handful of those things we really do ever. Uh, I'm not saying we don't luck into some of those. I think we actually luck into a lot of those. Like you get a job and something you didn't really know you, you wanted to do it. You did it long enough. You get really good at it. You did the grind and didn't even realize you're doing the grind because everyone else is. And now pretty soon you're good at it and you're just sort of like there, you know, and, and people and yourself, you know, you can just do it any day of the week um, and Sunday. Now, you might not at that point say, well, I want to be the professor of my job. Like that would actually be the commitment to that. You're going to be like, no, that's good enough. Like I'm good enough doing the nine to five of that. And then that's that. But I think there's a set of things, maybe a handful in our lives that we, maybe it's this type of stuff too, right? Where, you know, you get on this train where you want to, you know, discover a thousand different ideas. And that's your sort of journey. Um, now, at some point you might say, well, I don't really want to teach this. Like, I don't want the duty. And I think that's the key. Like, is there a point that you want the duty? Because I think that's the third phase. And I think, I think it's like zero to like maybe two of those in our whole life that we actually want the duty to something. Like, we're real, like, we're just, you know, like I'm moving here and I'm going to have the duty. And it's like my whole life's getting restructured around it. And I just think there's, there, and, I, and to me, I sort of divide these. So momentum to me matters. It's a different form of momentum for each of those. You know, it, it's, I, I would argue the third one is the professional athlete version of that thing. Like if any of you've ever, you know, met or know people like that, I have, I, I grew up with some in California and, you know, when they really, when you stop, they kept going. And then 10 years later, they still go like, that's their job. Like that's their vocation. It's different, right? There's no, it's not cool. Like this isn't about fun, coolness. This is, this is like serious. This is their spreadsheets basically, you know? And, and to me, that's the third category. You know, the first category is, you know, I'm going to try Italian cooking, you know? So I buy five books, I buy some gear, you know, I stumble my way through it. And then after like four months of YouTube, you're like, okay, I don't suck at it, but 
I don't want to go to Italy for two years and study it to become a bad version of a very great cook. Cause that's probably what you'll get to at that point. Cause now you have to grind for like 10 years to become maybe an average, very good cook. You know what I mean? And it's like, you gotta be willing to do like 50 years, 30 years. And so I just think that's how I, I'm sorry if I went like way off the edge here, but that's how I kind of view things like momentum and really the whole concept of, of our development is to try to figure out like which of these, you know, cause it's really easy to get sucked in nowadays to anything. You can get on a coffee kick. Well, I want to understand coffee, blah, 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 blah. Oh, what how's this made? Oh, this part of Northern Kenya. And at a certain point you're like, you know what? I don't know anything like stop. You know what I mean? Like, let me go back to like, I'm going to, I'm going to buy what I like cause it tastes good. And I'm not going to try to create some intellectual rubric to make myself sound smarter than myself around it. Like it's just, now some people that's important too. So knock yourself out. I just don't think that's a fantastic use of your time because you know, there, you could just spend your energy doing a lot of other positive things. But, but to me, that, that's a lot. That's why it's really easy now with the internet, digital, social knowledge, Amazon, everything. It, you can become a fake mixologist in like six days <laughs> and like trick a family member <laughs> you know because you can make one drink really well you know yeah so thank you I, oh yeah go ahead yeah. Marissa I want to kind of answer the concepts that Aaron has brought up here so you know I I think that the key here is that if the purpose for which you're acquiring this knowledge of the coffee is just to impress your friends or just yeah. to sound intelligent, but you've missed the point. And you're never right. gonna enter into a flow state if you're seeking that path. The, the idea here is, uh, remember that flow state is, you, you're not even thinking about anyone. You're not thinking about competition. You're not thinking about other people around you. You're like in the zone. And if you're worrying about who's gonna see you or who's gonna be better than you or know more than you, you, you're totally not in a zone. You're not in flow state. So the, the, what modern technology affords us is that, it, you're correct, it affords us a very easy ability to obtain information. But something I like to say to people is Google knows everything, but it understands nothing. If you are interested in a topic and you're seeking to understand said topic, it doesn't matter if there are people halfway around the world who are better Italian pasta makers than you. If taking the time and spending 10 hours to create an amazing gravy is what floats your boat, and if while doing it, you're so immersed that you forget the time, you forget. Oh, she, I think she froze. Oh, oh no. She was in the zone. She she was in the she zone. Was. Like you forget your kids, you forget your time, <laughs> you forget your job. You forget <laughs> what you husband, were saying. Your wife, your boyfriend, whatever. <laughs> yes. No, I, I'll your just bills, pick, pick up that yeah. from Marissa. No. And 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 just to thank you, because I think you know this is a great point, even uh, you know, that that um, you know, momentum is not just this one 
thing that, you know, depending on what our goals are, that the kind of momentum we need will change. And I, I was even just going to tie it back to our, our favorite word of intentionality, because it seems that that's what's more important than ever. So, so even to pick up on, on Maritza's example, you know, if it, it might have been the case, you know, if it were, you know, a couple hundred years ago, if you were growing up in Italy, learning how to make the Italian sauce was maybe the only cooking skill that was available for you yeah. to learn, where now, you know, because of the wealth of information that's available to us, we could learn just about anything if we really wanted to. There, there, there does seem to be a YouTube video for just about yeah. anything you might want to learn. But I think, you know, this is your point then, then we just have to be even that much more intentional to think about how do we actually want to spend our time and what are the, the aspects that we really want to devote ourselves to. And, and to your point that knowing that, um, you know, our, our time here still is finite and we can't do everything, uh, you know, hopefully we'll, 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 we'll soon even maybe be getting the technology where we'll be living longer. But even in that scenario, you, you can't certainly even do everything all at once. So just uh, how it's even that much more important to maybe think about what the goals we really want to pursue are and how we want to spend our time. I do want to turn it back to Shane Marie, though, because this was her question and uh, hear, hear some of her further thoughts on, on this topic. I, I, actually, it's funny because I think Erin was touching upon exactly my next question is how do we be sure to delegate time appropriately, and especially as we're older. I, I'm older. I'm almost 50. Um, and so um, I, I don't I don't know how that you trust the mind. <laughs> right. I don't know how you trust the mind to establish legitimate uh, goals for yourself. And so I, I think there is some care that needs to be taken in that and, and, and not only care, but insight. And I'm not sure how you how you maneuver towards that insight and what are the means? Is there anything that kind of helps self-identify the goals that we should pursue? Um, and, and when we do pursue those goals, what are our expectations and what should we hope to find from them and those kinds of things? Because I, I just find those those things hard hard to answer. I, I love to write. I've been writing for years, but I've made nothing of it. Um, so I'm just not quite sure what to expect of these things that I'm naturally inclined towards, but I haven't made anything major out of them. So I, I'm not sure if I'm putting a question out there, but um, you know, I, I, one of the things we mentioned in our group real quickly is that, you know, for some people, uh, they seem to show up in life, or at least they suggest that they know exactly what their goal is and what their end game is. They're comfortable with the detours and the failures and those kind of things. But I feel like for me, I've shown up with a hint, some suggestions, but I don't have that clear vision. Um, and so I, I feel a little faulty in my efforts and my first steps because I don't have this absolute clear sense of of what I'm aiming for. I have some sense, some whiffs, some notions of where I would like to aim, but it is not absolutely clear like you hear other people suggest. Thank you. No, that, that's great, a great question. So um, I'm gonna, I'm gonna try to look for something to put it in the chat for you. Um, something that actually comes out of the Flow Research Collective. So they have this whole idea of, I'm, I'm not even gonna remember off the top of my head exactly what they call it, but it's essentially, they, they talk about stacking your curiosity, passion, and purpose. So they have this whole process that you can go through that starts even with your curiosities, because that's even sort of the first point. Um, you know, what, what actually even just sort of arouses your interest. So even just to start with a process of getting clear about even just the kinds of topics that interest you, because you know, e even in the field of everything that's, that's interesting, um, you know, some people might have at least some interest in Italian cooking and for others, there would be like no interest in that whatsoever. So the first step is even maybe going through and just kind of broadly listing through a bunch of, um, 
you know, curiosities and then kind of spending time in kind of what Aaron's perhaps called like the hacking phase. Um, you know, even just spending some time, um, you know, kind of like once you have that big list, maybe kind of like narrowing it down, spending just a little bit of time going through some things, seeing, you know, like if you actually do have this kind of deeper interest, um, you know, if there are these topics that you want to get into more. And then but the point that they make here in the Flow Research Collective is so that they talk about that stage even as finding passion. So like, so curiosity is kind of that, that, that broad stage where it's like, these are the things you might want to dabble in. And then, you know, from curiosity, it could become a passion. This is something that you might actually want to start spending some time into, like where you're really like an amateur, right? And we know like the root of that word amateur is, you know, the ama, it's the love, right? So you have like the passion for something. But then they have this notion of transforming passion to purpose. And I thought this was fascinating too, because um, in the Flow Research Collective, they make this point then of connecting your passion to something wider than yourself. Um, to, you know, to, to have to have a purpose that goes even beyond just your interest to something where you can actually make a positive contribution to the world. Um, and then, you know, from that, even thinking about the, there, there's this phrase that Stephen Kotler and P Peter Diamandis have um, about, you know, having your massively transformative purpose. So even just being really ambitious, ultimately, in thinking about how you would combine um, some of your passions to really come up with a purpose that could really make a, a really great impact. And, and that's that's one of you know, the, the, the best ways to, to ultimately find long-term meaning. So I'm going to take a few moments to even see if I can find that link for you. Um, but next, I think we'll, we'll even maybe jump into uh, Joe's question, which was the question of um, how you you personally approach bringing order to chaos. So that was one of the ideas that we were discussing in this chapter, that chaos and entropy seems to be the natural state that we have to stave off. So if people maybe want to share some of their strategies or techniques or approaches for how you bring order uh, uh, you know, to your consciousness out of chaos. Anybody want to share some of their own personal thoughts on that one? All right, let's see. Aaron has some thoughts, and then uh, Joe will be next uh, on his own question. Yeah, so uh, unless it's, you know, critical, defined as, you know, existential health, you know, um, taking care of little kids, you know, lose your job, you know, like these maybe handful of things that are, you know, eight, 10, 12 things. I, I find the easiest thing to do is to just stop doing something, you know, so you just slow down. So you basically, when it's a chaotic environment, you know, whatever, you're whatever environment it could be, but you go over to your you know, best friend's house from college, they're having a party, they're an adult, but they're sort of this adult kid. And so it's a train wreck and that's not organized and everyone's running around, they're sending people to the store, whatever. Now you could choose to jump into that and that's cool. Like if, if they're that friend, then it's sort of like, that's fun-ish, I guess. But if they're really not, you can hide, uh, you can look busy you can get sucked in or you can just kind of glide away until things sort of stabilize. And so I'm using that example, but I think you could use that in lots or you can take something like that in family and in friends and in work environments, even um, just some environments, you can't do that, right? If there's a true emergency, a health emergency, whatever, that's different. 
but the one advantage you more often than not, if you're in a near dense environment, is that when there's something actually dangerous, you can call the fire department, you can call, you know, um, uh, paramedics, right? You can, you can, if it's health related, you could really actually get a professionals more often than not very quickly, uh, or quick, reasonably quick. So more often, you know, so you're really, you're rarely in a situation where you can't stop. To me, the only reason people don't stop is they're, they get uncomfortable, right? Because they don't want to get judged. Like, how come you're not helping? It's like, well, because this sucks. You know, like I, I don't want to contribute to it and I don't think I'll make a difference and it'll kind of make me a little crazy right now. And you probably don't want me to be that way. And so, yeah, is that a good enough reason? You know, it's, it's, and I'm, I'm being a little more crude, obviously, when I, when I say that, but, 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 but my point is, is that you sort of stop. That's what I've discovered is that's a really, for me, a useful thing. Um, and, uh, you can use it. now a lot of people might respond. Well, what I found is you don't really tell people you're doing this because people will, you know, maybe not really enjoy that, but, uh, and you, right. It, it, it almost feels like you're quitting on, on people, right. It's in, uh, but you find a way to do that. And I found it work. And then, and then if, and, and, and what I've discovered is after a period of time, because you've, you've sort of disconnected, if, if there can't be any order assuming, then, then that environment is, is happening. And then you have to make a choice to say, well, I'm going to just dive in and whatever, you know, or you find some little piece of it, you can, you know, add value in, in, in you know, or, or you can just, you know, like run away <laughs> basically. Um, so I don't know if that, that, that probably doesn't appeal to anybody, <laughs> but you know, it's, it's something, uh, I mean, I don't advertise that. I don't put a shirt on, like, you know, when it sucks, I quit, you know, and then it's like, you know, and then, and then, and then I add value when it makes sense, you know, like I don't have that t-shirt because I don't think most people want that, but you know, I mean, basically. Oh, you know. no, thank you for sharing yeah. your perspective there. Uh, Joe, you had some thoughts here on, on your question. Um, yeah, no, I, I, the reason I'd ask, the main reason I'd ask is because I, I've just seen so many different approaches for people that they take when, when uh, bringing order to their own lives. So, I mean, you think about it, people have either a growth or a fixed mindset. Uh, and people that have fixed mindsets often have this idea that they're bringing order, but they're actually, in a sense, creating a certain amount of disorder because they're actually just not changing their perspective on the world. However, there is a certain comfort that comes with that, a lot of risk as well. Uh, you're not confronting, let's just say your, I don't know, your inner dragons, your ego, whatever you want to call it. Um, so uh, then there's this growth mindset that also brings order. Uh, and it brings order by incorporating new information and how quickly you can incorporate that information. And I found that obviously the most important thing in that process is to ask questions. Um, but it's interesting to see how people will, um, uh, you know, uh, will take those two different approaches. Uh, I would argue the fixed mindset is actually more or less lined with their own personal desires. Uh, which can be problematic and gets back to, you know, some of the hedonic 
behaviors that we had talked about previously in the chapter. Um, because if, yes, if you're obviously just, you don't want to open up, then you're going to probably revert back into whatever it is that you actually want to do as opposed to growing uh, and embracing this chaos or unknown. Uh, so those are my thoughts because I had seen so many different, I mean, those are a couple different variations, but it's interesting to see how people approach those things. And sometimes it works for both in both cases. Uh, I know a lot of people that have fixed mindsets that are, I don't want to say happy, but they're, they're okay with it. <laughs> yeah, thank you for sharing that. No, and then that's even, an, I think, an interesting way to approach the question of, um, you know, ways that we can maybe attempt to bring order that don't actually ultimately bring order, like the fixed mindset. But, but I've, I've seen what you're saying too, that there is, um, that, that if the choice is between order and chaos, that a fixed mindset is maybe better because it gives you at least, you know, as you pointed out, like some level of comfort, there, there's some level of order. So you're not just, you know, going crazy. It's interesting how even, um, you know, the, the ways that we describe going crazy are all about kind of falling into chaos. It's like you're falling to pieces, uh, you know, you know, you don't have anything under control. So that in that sense, maybe, you know, a fixed mindset is better than chaos. But then to your point, that still a fixed mindset ultimately doesn't really give you, you know, the best kind of order and that there's you know, a growth mindset that actually gives you true order because the, the fixed mindset, the order will ultimately break down there. You're on mute there, Joe. Uh, could I add one thing to that? Yeah, yeah, go right ahead. Really quickly, um, you know, but it, it's interesting because I've thought about this a lot lately and just how sometimes if people, you know, if you're more provincial, uh, that you'll actually be, you know, that people are very happy with that versus actually, you know, getting out into the unknown in the sense that, you know, getting outside their comfort zone. Um, and it, it's interesting just to see that dynamic and how it works for people in certain cases, because that could be considered fixed um, when I say provincial in a sense. So anyway. Yeah, thanks, thanks for sharing that. Um, it looks like uh, was this, uh, Rogine, who I didn't know if I got your name correctly. Uh, let, let me know if I, I yeah. got your name right. Oh, perfect. That's right. Yeah. Um, I, I've been really thinking a lot about the hedonic principle for months now and trying to take it to heart. And at least right now, what's helping me with internal chaos is to write down as much as I can figure out that's chaotic and then using the hedonic principle sort of go through and cross out. It's like, yeah, even if I get that, even if I can play that sonata on the piano perfectly in a month, it's like, so what? Then I'll think I should do the next one. Um, so at least for me, focusing on the hedonic principle has greatly simplified my life. It's like, yep, I don't want to compare myself to whatever um, because of that. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. I think a couple of really good points there. I'll pick up on a couple of things. When you mentioned even just writing things down, that, that's something I, I've heard from other people. Um, there's the strategy of um, 
morning pages, which comes from uh, Julia Cameron's work on, on creativity, which um, I, I've heard from some friends have found that practice really helpful. So, so this is the idea that you essentially start off every morning by journaling a couple pages. And then the whole point is that it's, it's the stuff that's kind of, you know, just top of mind. Um, and, and the whole point is that it, it kind of starts to help you order your thoughts because sort of all of that chaos that you wake up with in the morning, you get it all out on paper. And then it kind of gives you an opportunity to reflect and, and gives you an, an opportunity to, to order things, you know, because you've had sort of that experience of release. And so that, that's a strategy I've heard from some people they, they find really helpful. I will share that never really worked for me, honestly, because I couldn't ever even, I part, part of the, it's like, I'm just not even a morning person. Although uh, Julie Cameron says you really can do this any time of day that you can make it work. Um, and then the whole idea is, you know, you, you write it and you discard it. It's not something that you're supposed to save or keep. It really is sort of the process of writing out all the crazy chaotic thoughts and getting them out there into the world so that then you can process them and then reflect on them. But I will share something that my, my own version of that, that I have found more helpful is, um, I do try to make a point to like get out and go for a walk. So I have a new practice now of journaling. Um, I have one of those apps where you can uh, essentially like just like use the audio function and speak into the phone. Um, and so personally, I found that, that that even worked really well for me. So that that might be a strategy that they might wanna use. And then um, your point about, you know, um, you know, kind of focusing on, on what brings you pleasure. I think that'll maybe even connect in with our, our third question here about, uh, you know, should enjoyment be tied to personal development? Uh, but it looks like Shane Marie has something to say here uh, first, and then um, we'll get into to that last question. Uh, yes, I, I was just thinking, um, so I mean, I can think, I can imagine personal chaos and how we bring order to that. But I, I think for me, I'm often wondering, and I, I don't find it personally in my own life yet, but it, it seems like it's on the precipice. And I don't know if that's the case, but say we were existing in legitimate external chaos, that the world was legitimately chaotic externally. So what is the flow state within that? or is that even a possibility? So um, it, it, you know, it's certainly clear when we're providing our own chaos, but what if, and, and you know, maybe, I shouldn't, maybe I shouldn't worry about that until it's in front of me, but I'm deeply curious if we have the skills to navigate a truly legitimate chaotic world, a truly legitimate exterior chaotic world and how we find flow or peace within that. Thank you. Yeah, I feel like I'm just even going to add that to maybe the list of, of questions, because um, I think that that's even just a whole other great question we can explore there. Um, so I'm just going to add that to the question, but let's maybe get to the other question first, and then we'll come back to, to this second one. So let's even get in into the question about, um, uh, I think the way Anton phrased it was, you know, should enjoyment be tied to personal development? Uh, you know, is, is that a strategy that actually helps us reach our, reach our personal development goals? Did anybody have some thoughts on that one? Let's see, it looks like uh, Rojean here has something to say. Maybe it's another question. I'm not that familiar with the concept of flow, except at a superficial level, but can you get to flow without some enjoyment? Um, I'm sort of thinking flow about personal development. At least for me, I have to kind of enjoy it. Yeah, I, I, it is a really interesting question, but um, 
certainly in in the flow book, uh, you know, MC really ties flow to happiness. Uh, you know, he kind of describes it as that that state of intrinsic motivation where you are so engaged that that what the the feeling ultimately is is happiness. But we've also talked about how there is the dark side of flow. So um, so you know, so there are ways that that flow can go wrong, um, and maybe even though it, it might even be one of those experiences where it perhaps might feel good in the moment, uh, but not actually be something that really is truly a value or lead to long-term happiness. So I'll, I'll, I'll we're, we're going to be running out of time soon, but I'll, it's even just a really great question. And so we'll, we'll definitely add that question to, to ponder into the mix um, to maybe even think about, um, you know, what, what are sort of the, the possibilities for flow without uh, happiness and, and pleasure? Um, so, so let's go back just to the question still of, um, like, should enjoyment be tied to personal development? Um, and it, Anton, don't, did I have your question correct? Is that, is, is that a, an accurate rephrasing of what you're asking there? Yeah, it's, I, I mean, I don't know whether or not this changes anything for you or for anyone else, but I, you got the question. I just added in uh, as much as possible. Uh, should enjoyment be tied in with personal development as much as possible? Like, and, and where reasonable, I guess I'm saying, you know. So are you suggesting that like if it um, like if it if it's hard or, or unpleasant, but maybe it's something we should do anyway, but ideally we should add in pleasure as much as possible? Is is that yeah, that's that's what I was getting at. Like whether or not that's the way to exactly. That's a good way of wording it. Mm -hmm. Anybody have any thoughts on that particular idea? Um, it looks like Joe has something maybe he wants to share on that. Yeah, I mean, um, one of the my understandings of, you know, flow is essentially having the task and the skill sets aligned with one another. Um, so within that framework, uh, you know, I think that there would have to be, uh, you know, a degree of challenge, obviously, that you would want, but it wouldn't be something that's overwhelming. Uh, so that's kind of where you kind of would find that joy in the challenge itself you're not bored but you're actually working towards a goal and it's kind of like a equilibrium or something you know you're striking a balance and so um and I, I so i do think that 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 pleasure and the some of the you know some some people say to me uh, and i often find it to be a very wise statement is people say enjoy the journey um, and and that allows you a little bit to take a step back to see where you're headed. Um, and it also gives you at least a chance to, you know, to be in the present moment um, and, and to kind of look forward. So, yeah, I think joy is, is part of, uh, can be uh, part of um, your personal development. Um, that being said, it can't come you know, it has to have, it has to be challenging, it has to be, you have to feel like you've accomplished something at the end of the day. It's, it's like a meaning in a sense, you know, it'd be meaningless if it were just something that you were just doing routinely. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks, Joe. That, that, I think that was beautifully said. Uh, it looks like Rojin has something to say then on this question. I hope this doesn't trivialize it, but I'm realizing I have Alexa um, after I have an intention, remind me at certain times of the day that I intended to do such and such, but then I have her like after an hour, um, ask me, it's like, did you do it? 
and I, I get a lot of pleasure out about being to think to myself or say to Alexa, yeah, I did it. Um, yeah, even if it's something I don't enjoy, I guess. No, I, I don't think that trivializes it. And I think I think a lot of people get that. I, I always think of that as like the pleasure of checking things off the to-do list. I, that, that's my little pleasure is you, know, you make the list, you check things off. But it, it sounds like you just have the Alexa version of, uh, you know, I, I check that off my to-do list. Um, I'll, I'll take a stab here at, at um, Anton's question and maybe even reframe the answer. But one of the things that's always been fascinating to me about flow, what we know about flow is that flow can actually help us uh, accelerate our personal development and our, and our goal achievement. So even like one of the big ways this comes up is um, a lot of people probably have heard the idea of the 20,000 hour rule. This even gets into what Aaron was talking about, how, you know, it, it takes a lot of time uh, if you're going to develop expertise in a certain skill. But some interesting research that's come out recently suggests that when you're in a flow state, you can cut down on the hours um, just by being in flow. But I think that even... Um, just it provides in a sense a sort of answer to, to what Anton is saying, because I think part of the reason why is because the activity, because when you're in a flow state, that the flow state is so pleasurable and because you're so absorbed in what the activity is and you're giving it your full attention just by, by, by definition that you're, you are just like getting more out of the process and then it just makes it easier to, to develop that skill or, or develop that learning. Um, I, I, don't, I don't know if that, that quite answers your question, though, Anton. Uh, yeah, I mean, that, that because, uh, and the reason why I was asking, or at least one reason I was asking the question is because if you, like, really focus on the, the change aspect of personal development, and I think a lot of times when I was saying in podcasts on YouTube, they do, uh, it's easy to, for me to feel overwhelmed or just, like, look at the tasks, like, I don't want to do all of that. So, yeah, so it's easy to focus on. You, I know you can't exclusively do things that you enjoy, but I have my own firsthand experience of, um, uh, I think uh, somebody was mentioning, I think it was Shane Marie was mentioning writing. I write in my own form as well. Uh, and that's something like I set certain writing goals, but writing is, oh, Aaron said this earlier, if you enjoy what you're doing enough, it's kind of not work. So I do challenge myself because I don't always know if I can do what I'm thinking, but it's in a context that I enjoy, so I'm more willing to do it. And uh, yeah, that makes, and also what Rogine was saying, I do have some, um, I've been struggling with it lately, but checking things off, uh, you know, I, I feel better when I'm able to do that. Uh, I talked with some people that said that they checked something off twice so that they could feel better. And I've done that before, but I always feel ridiculous. So I want to stop doing that. <laughs> yeah, uh, that's what I have to say. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. It looks like Joe has something to say about this one too. Yeah, just really briefly to build on one of the great, you made an really 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 important point i think when you're talking about how recent research uh and talking about this idea of like uh the book range is actually um you know talks about this about as far as human development is concerned um and how there's a sampling period there you're you know kind of trying different areas of disciplines uh and in that process what happens is that you're really kind of finding out what you're where you're where you fit and and that process also you start to be able to build analogies and actually see things 
differently from different perspectives and allows you to see things across industries and things like that as well. So while that that comes back to the, you know, kind of enjoying the journey is that yes, there is a little bit of a pain that you're going through by trying different industries, getting outside your comfort zone, but in the long run, you're kind of still, you know, you're, you're, you're building the skills that you need in order to, uh, to, you know, develop as a human being. Uh, so I, I think that that's a really, it, it's really a, a important point that you were referring to a little bit, a few moments ago. Yeah, and I think that that's an excellent addition, and, and I'll even build on that. That um, that that incorporating that range also helps you develop something of value that you can contribute to the world. And and this again is you know just something else that we know about how you actually create deep meaning in your life is to produce something that's actually of value to the world. And this is the idea of you know you could spend all of those hours and never become the uh, old Italian grandma that's absolutely perfected the sauce recipe because she's done it for 70 years. But maybe you're the person who learns Italian sauce and you learn sauces in a couple different traditions. And now you're the one person who's able to kind of combine all of that knowledge into something that's new. And now you've got something unique uh, and valuable that, that you can add to the world uh, precisely because you, you've maybe sampled, you've had that range and you've able to to integrate it in, in a new form. Did you want to add something there, Joe? Uh, yeah, I'll just add something really quickly. I mean, into, as well as the type of learning environments that you're in, like most learning environments are like kind of what, what they're termed to be wicked, which is a word that's probably used quite a bit anymore. Um, but, but the versus a kind learning environment. Um, and then where you're used to, you know, most in learning, again, most environments that you're going to function in are wicked. Therefore, having that kind of wide range of skill sets and things like that, um, you'll find that it does allow you to bring, it brings you pleasure in the long run. Um, because once you find what you fit, what you identify with, and you've gone through the sampling period, that then um, you also have additional skills that, and this has been proven out like through different types of studies, athletes and all that. And anyway, I'm not going to go into that, but thank you. Yeah. Thank you for sharing. It uh, looks like uh, Shane Marie has something to add here. So I was, I was just curious, you had referenced um, probably not being able to compete with a grandmother who made this delicious sauce because she's doing it for 70 years, but you're a person who knows how to make many, many sauces per se. Um, but what if it's the, what if it's the case um, that we're neither? Um, how do we encourage ourselves to participate anyway when maybe there's no, maybe there's not going to be external recognition? Um, so how, how do we find ourselves willing to participate when it, it's just simple joy for us? And I, I think like it sounds like the answer is in the question. <laughs> um, but at the same time, I, I think we kind of imagine that if we participate, there's some grander outcome or, or something along those lines that maybe prevents us from, from pursuing these things. Yeah, I think that's a great question. And I'm sorry, Marissa had to leave. And I know she she did ultimately have to catch a flight. So I think hopefully she's uh, safely on her way back to Philly. But I, I wish she were here because I think you know, what she was saying when she was last speaking was even starting to get to your point that um, 
that even perhaps you know the, the worst thing we can do is to try to pursue a goal just because we think it's it's something that other people want. Um, you know, and, and you to your point of you know there is just incredible value of the joy of doing. So so maybe you're never going to be the grandmother that's been making the sauce for seventy years, but maybe you love Italian cooking and maybe you get your skills to the point where you make a sauce that just makes you so happy to eat this all the time and serve it to your friends and family and then and and that's wonderful I mean I, you were kind of saying right that, that it's, it's kind of there in in your question um you know that you've found the joy and you've made your life better and, and maybe if it was sauce you know hopefully even uh, uh you know the friends and family that you get to share the meal with um you know by leaning into the little pleasures of, of life So I think we are kind of running out of time now. So I'm just going to remind you all that there is another uh, 52 Living Ideas meetup right after this one that starts at uh, 9 p.m. Eastern time. So in uh, just about seven minutes here, um, this one is going to be a continuation of uh, conversations about the Gospel of John. Um, and it is a different link. So uh, you'll have to sign off from this one and uh, make sure to go back to the meetup page and uh, you know, find the 52 Living Ideas link for that conversation. But I just want to thank you all again for joining me and, and Maritza when she was here and, and doing this, this exploration of, of chapter two with us. And so we will be back two weeks from today, and we'll be getting into chapter three. Chapter three is called The Veils of Maya, and we're going to be kind of exploring illusion versus reality. So as I said, I'm, I'm reading this book for the first time with all of you too. So I, I have no idea what we're, we're up for, but uh, I think it's going to be a really good discussion. And you know, even when we go beyond MC, sometimes I feel like conversations like the ones we had today where we go beyond MC, I, I personally even get the most out of them. So thank you all. And I look forward to seeing you again in two weeks. Thank you, Joya. Yeah. Bye, everybody. Thanks. Bye-bye. This episode may be done, but you can always find more travel ideas and opportunities at Delve Travel. Just visit delvetravel.com. The adventure continues. Ask me why.